0: With sports car racing news and analysis from around the globe, this is the Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese and Ryan Marine.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to Double Stint, Sports Car 365's weekly sports car racing podcast in Long Beach, California. I'm Ryan Marine, John DeGeese alongside for a rare in-person recording of the Double Stint Podcast. Just got done with the pirelli gt4 america race which was the final sports car event of the weekend here at long beach so we've got a whole lot to cover it was a busy weekend not just here in long beach but around the world uh, for sports car racing and for sports car 365
0: yeah i think this was our busiest one yet um, i think there's a couple other weekends that'll be just as busy but between here in long beach um, Blancpain gt and Monza, paul ricard elms and aco action there we got super gt um thank you Best thing is just to check the website for all the results from the other championships. But we'll do our best to recap everything that went on here in Long Beach.
1: Yeah, that'll definitely be the focus here. We will give you some of the results as well from uh, some of the other championships. We've got news to get to later in the show. A brief interview with Spencer Pompelli, who was racing to get to the airport, but was kind enough to join us for just a little bit of time to talk about his win here on the streets of Long Beach. I think you'll enjoy that conversation. Got a couple listener questions to get to at the tail into the show as well. But we'll start with IMSA, the Bubba Burger Sports Car Grand Prix, I think the official event name. And it was a dramatic one with uh, coming down to the wire, Philippe Albuquerque holding off Ricky Taylor in the final moments. Uh, Had some lap traffic that was definitely in the mix as well. Everyone, I, it seemed like, was was talking about it afterwards, which is a good thing. It definitely stole the show.
0: It was definitely one of the most entertaining street races I had seen. Um, it, it kept me on my toes the entire race. It came down to, you know, uh, just a matter of a, a couple seconds and, and traffic, like you said, um, between Taylor and Albuquerque. I think the the turning point of the race really came when the number five Mustang, sampling Cadillac, had a right front puncture. Actually, it was a slow puncture, I believe, that forced them early into the pits. I believe with about forty minutes to go, um, and they ended up just taking that right front tire only, saved some time in the pits. got got ahead in the the lead effectively following the the full course following the round of pit stops and it sort of put the the, uh, Penske Acuras in a position to try to go attack Albuquerque Um, obviously Ricky did the best he could I I spoke to him post race and he said that he gave it his all, he was trying but there just wasn't any good opportunity to make that move for the win he had the faster car in the end it was pretty clear but um, sort of a a lucky situation for for that Action Express crew.
1: And it's in Interesting how that happens, and it seems like it happens more often on these street courses where what, at least on first blush, looks like a bunch of misfortune actually turned out to be the key moment of the race and played right into their hands. Yeah,
0: and you could just look at it from all these different perspectives on what could have been for all these different cars. You know, we saw the number 31, their sister car, the sister Action Express wheel and engineering car, um, lead early in the hands of Felipe Nasser, and that looked to be the car to beat until the right front tire came off following its round of pit stop. Um, I believe there was an issue with the air gun and when Pippo Durrani exited the pit lane he said he knew something was wrong and sure enough by the I think turn three or four the, the wheel just came off he had to limp it back to the pits luckily it was under a full course caution at that time but then what ended up happening was he pitted when the GT cars pitted and that was an emergency stop turns out the Action Express crew put some fuel in and that led to another penalty um, dropped them basically out of contention so and one of those things of what if you know that was a perfect example? Another one was the Mazdas. Um, we we saw some pace again from them. The the 55 car ended up changing its tub overnight um, after an accident by Jonathan Bomarito. He spun early in the race, basically took them out of contention there with some damage. Then the 77 car was leading at at one point, looked to be in contention, looked like it could have been another Mazda day, you know, uh, for that breakthrough first win, but then uh, a slow pit stop and a slow exit by Ollie Jarvis dropped that car um, down to fourth, I believe.
1: Yeah, so it was a fascinating race, a lot of comers and goers, hard to tell at any given point who was really in the, the catbird seat, but uh, as it all shook out, it was, as you said, the Mustang Sampling Racing uh, Action Express team, Philippe Albuquerque holding off Ricky Taylor at the end. Speaking of the Taylors, before we move out of the DPI class, we probably should talk about one of the more talked about storylines of the weekend, which was the Ironman effort of, of uh, Jordan Taylor just to be in a car this weekend given the fact he had emergency surgery earlier in the week. Yeah, it was an incredible
0: story and I had first started hearing about it earlier in the week before we got here to Long Beach and the information that I was hearing that was Jordan Taylor wouldn't be racing. They'd be flying in a, 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 another driver to to share with Ranger van der Zand, uh, after um, an emergency appendectomy uh, while he was on vacation, in a family vacation in Hawaii, um, turned out Jordan arrived Thursday night um, a little bit sore a little bit aching obviously but really fully determined to get behind the wheel and not just to complete the minimum drive time which is five minutes for this race but to complete his full stint and he did that he I think he did 42 minutes behind the wheel um, had a, a penalty in the in the, in the, during that time after um, passing under a local yellow ultimately it didn't really make a big difference because once um, co-driver Ranger van der Zander got in the car he ended up having a bit of an accident um, damaged the car day done for them, which was a story in itself. But I think when you look back at the weekend from Wayne Taylor Racing, you know, all that anticipation, wondering if Jordan was going to be able to drive or not. They had Kamui Kobayashi on standby just in case, but Kamui ended up basically being a spectator the whole weekend. I, I think um, he was I saw him taking photos of, of things more than more than actually doing uh, work behind the wheel because I don't think he even got inside that car the whole weekend. But um, good thing uh, you know that Jordan was able to do it. But yeah, what an Ironman effort. Just I think eighty four hours or something after his surgery Monday night. You know, and this was a pretty intense procedure. I I, I don't really know anybody that's actually gone through it to give per- firsthand first hand recollection, but to get your Appendix out is is no uh, no walk in the park you know and and to sort of jump in a car and in a bumpy track like this you know with everything you know all the conditions and variables is, is quite an achievement so hats off to Jordan and, and really really impressed by that
1: yeah no painkillers available to him either except for on the, the day of the surgery itself because of uh, the the drug testing policy that imsa has in place so yeah he was really toughing it out you could tell that it wasn't easy, but he wasn't going to let it stop him, so a really remarkable story there What's move to GTLM. Those were the only two classes here, DPI and GTLM. Uh, Porsche picked up the win with Earl Bamber and Nick Tandy, but uh, some pretty high drama behind them on that closing lap. Yeah, um, Dirk Mueller in the number 66
0: Ford, which jumped out into the lead thanks to a bit of luck and strategy. That car was the first to pit, I think with an hour and seven to go. Um, He ended up making a green flag stop. Sebastian Bourdais was in the car um, subbing for uh, Joey Hand. That's a whole nother story that was unfolding throughout the week. But um, uh, 66 Ford inherited the lead after all the other cars pitted while under the full course yellow. Um, Dirk lost the lead to um, Earl Bamber and the 912 Porsche after uh, a pit speed um, limiter was activated in the hairpin he was actually one of two cars to have that happen in the race which is a bizarre thing in its own Um, right I I don't know exactly what happened there but I asked Dirk post-race and he sort of shrugged it off I I, I don't think he really wanted to talk about it but Um, Nonetheless, um, Dirk was running second at the time in in GTLM. um, Within sight of Earl Bamber, all of a sudden he started slowing quite dramatically on the final lap. Um, Jan Magnussen had nowhere to go, plowed into him, turned him around. Uh, the Ford ended up finishing fourth after it ran out of fuel on the final lap so um, chalk that one up Um, Corvette ended up getting a double podium in GTLM which is a good point stay for them but it's kind of another case of what could have been for for Ford after a narrow uh, win at at, that win that went away at Sebring now this for the sister car um, really bad luck for those, those guys in the um, first couple races of the year.
1: Definitely so, but high drama on the streets of Long Beach. It was entertaining. Like I said earlier, everyone was talking about this race, even the, the folks I work with on the IndyCar side who aren't necessarily always plugged into what's happening um, on, on an IMSA weekend. They said, man, this was this was awesome. We want more of this. So uh, definitely a, a good opportunity for IMSA in front of a massive crowd to show uh, show off what they're all about and and they certainly did that so for more on that you can check out john's story at sportscar365.com plus all the weekend coverage of course you can be found there as well let's move to pirelli gt4 america just the one race and a sprint format here in Long Beach this weekend. Spencer Pompelli started on pole, and it looked like he was going to run away with this thing until Ian James started putting laps together late in the race and arrived on the doorstep, made an attempt on the final lap at an outside pass. But ultimately, Pompelli was able to hold him off didn't look like it was going to be much of a race but those final few laps were nail-biting stuff yeah i had my headline
0: already written that pompelli dominates long beach and i sort of had to change that a bit (laughs) um he did have a controlling run that's for sure um we saw him stretch out to an early lead like you said and sort of saw something similar what we had seen at at saint petersburg in the the pair of season opening sprint races where the porsche was very strong in the early part of the race and then as the race went along it sort of faded and spencer even made reference to that in the post race press conference that maybe that's something they need to get a hold of you know that there might be something to work on with the setup but um, nonetheless it made for a dramatic uh, closer there with ian you know doing everything he could to get around spencer Um, there was a a lapped car of cj moses that sort of got spencer held up quite a bit um, initially then um, some other cars i think came around but ultimately it was the the trg porsche getting the, the big win in long beach and believe it or not i think this was the trg's first ever win at long beach you know Spencer said that in the, the press conference and that's a lot considering you know this is one of the home tracks for Kevin Buckler and and all of his supporters
1: yeah Kevin told me the same thing I talked to him for the the TV broadcast and and he said that this was one he has been eyeing for a very long time and he told me this pretty early in the race so it was by no means a done deal at that point but uh, he, he was elated to say the least uh, when the checkered flag flew and, and his car was in Victory Lane it's always special uh, to, to, to get a win at Long Beach whatever the category whatever the series that you're racing in Uh, we did have a couple of early incidents in the race that probably presented other than that last lunge by James the best chance for anybody to try and track down Spencer because it really seemed like throughout the course of this weekend admittedly limited track time but Pompelli was quick every single time that car took to the track
0: yeah and I think track position has a lot of things to do with it too you know he put a lot of focus on qualifying knowing that when you're out front you know you're you can sort of run your own race and not have to challenge a lot of other cars. Um, I think the Porsche does have uh, some advantages in some areas. It's pretty clear looking at it. You know, in the, in the first couple of races this year, both in Sprint and SprintX competition, also in IMSA. Um, you know, there's been a lot of BOP changes to this new, new for 2019 Cayman, um, and, and maybe the, the BOP folks haven't fully got their heads around. Where this car works and how well it is in some areas, you know, like the tire deg or the going car going away in the second half of the race, that could be one of its downfalls. But in sheer pure lap you know single lap performance it's almost in a league of its own so it was it was interesting to see how the race unfolded and and yeah the cautions did play into things a little bit if it stayed green you know maybe ian might have had enough time to catch spencer at the end had there been a longer green flag um, period
1: yeah you have to wonder about that but still a really good effort from ian james finishing second for panos Uh, michael cooper put in a great run with his mclaren to finish on the podium in third after starting seventh had a great start i think he picked up all of those spots on the first lap, to hear him tell it at least, which is pretty remarkable. And then how about Ian James' teammate, Matt Keegan, finishing just off of the overall podium in fourth, top of the Am Runners. Looking at how Panos has started this season, uh, going back the last couple of years, they've been slow starters. Otherwise, they would have been real championship contenders with uh, with Ian James specifically. But with the pace they've shown so far, the results they've been able to achieve, I, I look at them as a real contender, both in the AM and pro categories moving forward. Absolutely. When you look at what Preston Calvert's done, too, in Sprint sure. X with Matt, um, really strong stuff. So
0: a great start to the season for for that squad.
1: So full results available at sportscar365.com com plus all of our coverage from throughout the weekend did want to mention two other events that uh, we had coverage of dragon speed picked up a win in elms uh, in the season opener at paul ricard dynamic porsche had a bit of a surprise win to say the least and in monza for the start of the blanc gt endurance cup season and again you can find results on those series and all the other racing that took part Uh, Or took place over the weekend at the website as well for now let's take a quick break we've got news to get to next including gt4 formats in sro america plus more on hypercar and a big name headed to the suzuka 10 hours all of that coming up next on double stint hey this is colin brown and you're listening to sports car 365's double stint podcast back on the program now and let's jump to the news of the week John we'll start with the the new the, the formats that we're seeing in GT4 America right now. The Sprint and the Sprint X, pretty good grids in both. And you had a chance to talk to Stefan Rattel about the state of the series here early in this new version of it, basically the old GTS now, uh, Pirelli GT4 America. And some interesting thoughts from Stefan about how successful this is and whether or not this is a trial run to figure out which of these formats they might move to. Sounds like he's happy with having both.
0: Yeah, I think we all sort of thought maybe next year would be a, a single format G- t 4 whether it be Sprint or Sprint X or maybe something uh, a little different, we, we don't know. Um, but it seems that SRO is pleased with the results right now, and at least based on car counts, you know, we have saw 21 cars this weekend in the Sprint race at Long Beach. Um, 32, I believe, were at the Coda season opener Sprint X, but that combined the East and West championships as well. So I think we should see more, more like, you know, 25 or so um, at the next round at VIR, which is just Sprint X and East. And then there's a separate sprint race that weekend. Um, I think it actually gets to the next point where it, it's a little bit confusing over how to follow all these different GT4 series. Stefan thinks it's fine. Um, we'll we'll see what happens. Obviously, there always could be changes. He expressed you know that right now things seem to be in a good position. Um, they're looking at making some evolution, some small adjustments throughout the you know for next year, but no wholesale changes. Um, he stressed that there's already been enough changes and they really. want to build in some consistency into this platform so um, we'll have to see where it all goes but um, so far this season car count wise has been pretty good i think the only event that probably could have been better was laguna seca which saw i think nine or ten gt4 cars but that was a standalone gt4 west and and stefan indicated that's probably something they won't be doing again next year Um, the the regional series will most likely run all the time with the national sprint x championships so um for me i I wish there was a little bit more clarity on how these championships are run or maybe sort of more separation to sort of explain that this is something different you know i think a lot of teams are even confused over what they're running or where they're scoring points in so when teams and competitors are confused i think it's time to sort of figure out how to make things more simplified, not only for them, but also for the fans.
1: I talked a little bit with Darren Law on pit lane today, and he was talking, he oversees, of course, Flying Lizard and also K-Pax. And he said from a logistical standpoint for the teams, these weekends that we have coming up where some of these teams are running both Sprint and Sprint X on the same weekends, it's a huge challenge. But the flip side is the drivers love this. And that might be why we hear Stefan saying so firmly that he feels this uh, having both, is an acceptable option because it's very popular with the drivers who get a lot more track time. And uh, so, yeah, we'll see where this goes from there. But I I did think what Darren said was quite interesting. Let's transition to another topic here, which we talk about a lot on the show, which is hypercar. Waiting to hear more, of course, about the direction that this is headed and had an opportunity to learn a little bit, at least, uh, here this weekend at Long Beach because Zach Brown of McLaren was here. And I know you spoke to him. I'm sure you've heard some other things about other manufacturers as well. So what is the latest um, on the hypercar front as we as we know it at the moment?
0: Well, for at least from McLaren's standpoint, um, speaking to Zach, it was quite interesting to see what his thoughts have been on, on the latest developments um, since that was announced in March when um, the ACO expanded the category's eligibility to production-based hypercars, uh, much like you would see on the road. And Zach said that's something that McLaren is extremely interested in. That's something that the Direction they want to go exclusively. They would like the category to go exclusively. So no prototypes, no other types of platforms in the top class. They want it to. He wants it to be strictly production based only. You know, you can see the La Ferraris, the McLaren um, P1, the uh, Aston Martin Valkyrie, etc. You know, competing with. In the top class at Le Mans, you know, in, in that type of scenario, so it's an interesting situation from McLaren's standpoint. I guess it doesn't come as a huge surprise considering they don't have an existing prototype. You ask the folks at Toyota, and they, you know, on the record, they would say they could do either, you know, a prototype or a GT. But quite frankly, they're behind the idea of a prototype-based formula, and all the other constructors out there, whether it be orica Luger, um, um Delara, they're in the favor of a prototype-based. Based formula as well so all of a sudden you're starting to see a bit of a divide in the feelings of where this new hypercar class can go the aco seems confident to allow them all in order and they'll be doing it via a bop system except there's extreme doubts over how that bop will be achieved adding a little further twist to everything is that there's been a bit of a coalition of gte manufacturers proposing something along the lines of super gte or gte plus i've heard those both those names sort of floated around where basically you can upgrade the existing gte car into a top class Contender, so basically you could take a Ford GT or or a, or a Ferrari, you know, 488, add about 200 horsepower, um, um, update the bodywork, make it look more like a, a GT1 car per se, and have those race in the top class and. Speaking to some manufacturers, a lot of them would not go on record about this. Um, we believe it's it's something that's a definite possibility, but and we believe it's actually a backup plan by the ACO, um, that if they don't have manufacturer commitments by early May, they may go to what we know as Plan B. And um, speaking to Pierre Fion and Gerard Nouveau back at Sebring, they acknowledged there is a Plan B, but they wouldn't say what it is um, based on what we've been hearing in the last... Few weeks, we believe this is a plan B, is to basically take GTE up to the top class of regulations, and that would be a massive shift in the entire sports car racing world. Um, we know IMSA's is not in favor of this; IMSA is in favor of continuing that down their own path with the, the new generation DPI. We understand there's been an agreement in place already from IMSA and some manufacturers that their new DPI class will have hybrid powertrains. And if you do something like this with this super GTE formula, there's no hybrids in sight there. And it basically kills off what we see in GTLM in IMSA. So um, bottom line is there's massive amounts of questions, lots of confusion, no clarity. um, And we're getting down to D-Day here where we need A decision by the aco because i think what all these discussions and proposals and 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 uncertainties is really impacting the rest of the sports car racing world and we before more damage is done we need the aco and fia to make up their minds and say what it's going to be and get ready because we, we 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 don't want more questions and uncertainties and proposals and 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 pressure from all these different sanctioning bodies and and in this waiting game right now because it's extremely um, uncertain at the moment.
1: Absolutely fascinating to follow as well so uh, a lot more to come on that subject. Finally in the news portion of the show some interesting news that we'll see Mika Hakkinen back in a race car looking ahead to the, uh, the 10-hour race at Suzuka, part of uh, Intercontinental GT Challenge later in the year. Neat to see, neat that it's going to be in a McLaren as well, given his F1 history with the manufacturer, and a nice boost, I have to say, uh, for the event. That's going to get a lot of media attention. Yeah,
0: absolutely, and I think the last time Mika drove a sports car, I think it was the Zuhai um, Intercontinental Le Mans Cup race, I was actually there. He was in a Mercedes-AMG GT3. Actually, it was an SLS, I believe, back then, in those days, but... Um, Um, Still exciting to see him um, climb back behind the wheel. He's going to have a pair of Japanese co-drivers. The team still has not been announced. We know that Go um, is going to run two McLarens there, but I believe those lineups have already been determined. Um, Their second car is going to be of significant interest for uh, IMSA fans, so stay tuned on that lineup. But... um, with this car it's definitely going to be exciting so um, great to see some some star drivers um, sign up for for a race like this and you know bring further boost to the intercontinental gt challenge
1: definitely more on those stories on the website for now let's take another break here and we'll speak with spencer pompelli next picked up a win in pirelli gt4 america over the weekend his thoughts on that win and the rest of the season when we return on double stint
2: Hi, I'm Billy Johnson and you're listening to Sports Car 365 Double Stent Podcast.
1: Spencer Papelli joining us on the Double Stint Podcast just wrapped up a win on the streets of Long Beach. Let's start with that, the significance of a win on, in, on this event at this venue that has so much history. It,
2: uh, it's, it's really cool. I, it's, I'm going to sound a little dorky here, but when I was uh, in high school, I used to play this game called IndyCar Racing 2, and I played Long Beach over and over again. That was my track. It's a little different on the layout now, but a lot of the corners are the same. And uh, When I finally got the chance to race here, I think it was in American Le Mans or something um, about 10 years ago, it was a dream come true, but we had a bunch of second places. Never got the win here. So, uh, you know, today waking up, I knew that if we did everything right, we could pull it off. I knew it wouldn't be easy, but I knew we could do it. And sure enough, uh, it was closer than I
1: hoped, but we did it. And yeah, take us through those final laps seeing Ian get closer and closer in your mirror.
2: That car is strong over long runs, whereas we're strong on initial greens. And we saw that at St. Pete. But um, so with the yellows, I thought, OK, this is going to be pretty good. This is playing in our favor. Um, and sure enough, on the restart, it opened up a pretty good gap. I felt like even with his advantage at the end, uh, we were going to be able to hold it. But then we caught the, uh, the Audi, which was lap traffic. And unfortunately, I caught him just going into that fountain. So there's nothing I could really do to get by him, nothing he could do to get out of the way. And it was one of those sections where you use a long time where you have to go single file. So Ian was able to get to my bumper. And fortunately, I was able to clear him with Ian still behind me. But uh, from that point on, it was just I was trying to shake him, and I couldn't. And he took a couple peaks going into turn eight on well, the last lap there and uh, forced me to kind of run defensive, not really knowing how much power that V8 had in it at that point in the race. And uh, sure enough, I knew if I could get through nine clean, there was nothing he could do to get by me, so I just drove it home. But, man, that was exciting, and uh, it just feels good to get this win for TRG because they've been coming here a while. I know Kevin
1: loves this place, grew up here and we finally did it and we talked about that as well on the tv broadcast how this was a, a really special venue for kevin and therefore delivering a win for him here was of extra significance
2: yeah for sure i think mean, he tells stories about how he was a uh, a teenager here kind of hanging on the fence trying to sneak in the gates and watching the form of the one cars which just must have been incredible yeah. back here uh you know whenever kevin was a teenager i don't know what, what year that was but um <laughs> i think the cars had round wheels at that point um but yeah, the uh, I know he loves this place. Uh, it's a support to him. I love this place,
1: and it's just really cool to go home and celebrate a win. Last thing is we got the IndyCar two-seaters going by us. Uh, looking ahead to the rest of the season, how well positioned do you think you are to go for the championship? Because I know that was the stated goal at the beginning of the year.
2: Yeah, I think we're obviously one of the top cars. We've been in contention in every race so far. We haven't won until today, but uh, we're in the hunt. So, you know how the championships go. It's just a matter of checking the boxes. You know, we're not going to win every weekend, but we don't want to have any disasters. So, you know, it might take three wins, four seconds, and eight-thirds to win the championship. So, we just, every weekend, we got to check one of those boxes off, and hopefully
1: we'll be there then. Congrats on the win. Thanks for the time, and good luck in to the airport yeah thanks random it's race number two in the day
2: hey i'm patrick long and you're listening to sports car 365's
0: double Stint podcast
1: Back on Double Stint. Let's wrap things up, John, by looking at a couple of listener questions. One really a comment, but uh, one I thought was worth sharing. Michael S. writes in, uh, regarding the conversation we had about Tim Pappas on the show last week, he mentions, don't forget Pappas was an ALMS GTC champion two times in 2010 and 2011, so he's been around and shows he can be a good amateur driver. Hope he gets healthy soon. We certainly echo that sentiment. Finally, got a question from Masked Racer, who says, thanks for the response to last week's comment about the safety car issue. You clarified your thoughts very well. Question for this week is to ask again how you saw the fan turnout at Long Beach. Were there more sports car fans, indie car fans, or was everyone just there to see a big motorsports festival? The latter seems about right to me. What do you think?
0: Yeah, and I, actually, I would say I'm seeing more and more fans with sports car mm. shirts and gear on, and I think that's a change from previous years. It seems like people are at least maybe maybe it's locals, maybe it's people that have been exposed to sports car racing here with this still relatively new addition You know, I think it was 2006 was the first time a major sports car race was held here in as part of the Long Beach Grand Prix with the Grand Dam race, and then ALMS joined the next year. So you know. It's, it's been 15 years, give or take, but you know, this race is 45 years old. So there's still, um, you know, a lot of learning from longtime fans that go to this race that consider IndyCar as the top race. And it still is. And I don't think anything will ever uh, supersede that. But um, I'm still impressed by the, the number of sports car fans that are here in this paddock. And and it's great to see it continue to grow.
1: Yeah, I would agree. You do see plenty of people supporting their favorite manufacturer or team or, or what have you and wearing sports car gear. And that's good to see. But I do think overall it is just a giant racing festival. And uh, that's what draws people out here. And it, it's really cool. If you've never seen it in person, it's one to, to put on the bucket list for sure. That's a wrap for us on the show this week thanks for the questions and if you have a question for our next show you can use the hashtag ask stint or leave a comment in the comment section under this episode thanks so much for tuning in we'd love a rating and a review on itunes if you have the time but uh, with that out of the way we'll talk to you next week with our next edition of the double stint podcast